isn't it? Done so well. Charity and the team. Brian, thank you so much, everybody. Oh, the name of Jesus. Hi, everyone. My name's Lon, and if you're new to our church in the last two months, this is the first time you've seen me. I'm one of our teaching pastors that stands alongside Pastor Rob uh, as he carries that load. Um, and also, uh, I do the, the thing called global and local outreach. So everything you're hearing about, all these wonderful people, that's the team I get to work with all the time. Are you looking at me up there? Um, and so this is a great, great week for us, and, and it ends today, but of course our mission to the world doesn't end today, does it? Uh, and you're going to hear more about that in a couple of minutes. I've been pondering big time this week this notion of neighbor and what it means to Jesus. Because I think as we talk about today, our focus is not on the global world, it's more on our local region. So the concept of neighbor came to me. And, and then I remembered that once a religious scholar came up to Jesus and said to him, what must, and I don't think he was really querying from his heart, but just trying to test Jesus. He goes, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus responds, and he goes, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Neighbor. What is neighbor? Uh, this morning in my devotions, uh, before I got ready for the sermon, and while it was still dark, I kept thinking, Lord, give me a story of someone being a great neighbor to us, being neighborly. And so I thought back, it was 20 years ago, actually, this, this came to me, and we were just getting into a boating sort of recreational life. I was raised in boating and water skiing, and I wanted my kids to be, so we got this really nice boat, took it up to Lake Delavan, and it was shiny and almost new, and we took off across the lake, and we're just really enjoying it. I'm going to teach them how to water ski and all this stuff, and go down to clear the end of the lake and make this wide turn, and suddenly the engine just stopped. Just stopped right on that turn. We came to a dead still. I kept trying to start it. It wouldn't start. We're four miles, at least, away from the harbor. And I don't know what to do, and I'm just trying to introduce boating to my children, and then I can't fix this thing. A lot of boats pass us by. I think we might have held up an orange flag or something to let them. We needed help. Most didn't. But then this, this mom-and-pop in a mom-and-pop-type boat with a very small motor on it, they come up and they say, you folks need some help in my big shiny boat that won't run. I go, yeah, uh, I don't know what's wrong with it. I just bought it. They probably sold me a lemon. Yeah, I don't know what I said. So they give us this tow rope and they tow it up slowly because their boat wouldn't go fast anyway. Slowly all the way back to the harbor. It, it took 72 hours. Uh, <laughs> To go those four miles, that's what it felt like. Meanwhile, my family's going, lots of fun here, Dad. Really enjoying it. Okay, we get back into the harbor, and, 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 I, and I'm so grateful. They gave up literally an hour or two to tow us that far, and they wouldn't take any money for the gasoline, and they were just the cutest older couple. And, and, and so as they started putting out of the harbor again, I noticed that there's this switch on my new boat. Yeah. 
It's the emergency switch. And when I was making that big turn, evidently my knee came up and it kind of, so it was really just putting that switch back where it belonged and it started up fine. But I didn't let that couple know until they were way back out in the lake again. And wherever they were, I stayed far away. I didn't, or maybe they just, oh, you got it fixed. Okay, but the point was this. How kind. How kind of this older couple to do that. That's neighborliness. So I've titled this message. Here we go. Would you be my neighbor? All right, and we'll get to Mr. Rogers here in a little bit. Uh, Mr. Rogers didn't come up with it. Jesus did, and he defines it. And, and, and I think this is what Jesus is saying to that scholar because the scholar then says, well, um, um, tell me more. And so Jesus tells him this big story of the Samaritan person that needed help and the Samaritan guy helps this person who wasn't, I won't go into it. The point being, at the end of it, Jesus says, now who was being a neighbor in my story? And the scholar goes, well, I guess the one that showed mercy and helped the person in need. Right, Jesus said. Now you go and do that too. So Jesus is the one that talks about neighborliness and that it's a command. And it even ties into it beautifully into our salvation because isn't that the role Jesus played with us? You talk about neighborliness to come to us, to move into the neighborhood of human existence to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is the ultimate example of the great neighbor. So I've defined it for us like this this morning. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone who needs us and needs Jesus. Yeah. It's not geographical. It's not eth ethnic. Anyone who needs us and, more importantly, needs Jesus Christ. I am called to be a neighbor. Now, let's go ahead and take a look because I want to talk about our region here in uh, DuPage County and southwestern Cook because what we think about as a church is that we have service responsibility to anyone within 30 minutes of the doors of this campus. And so that's all of DuPage and part of southwest Cook. So let's take a look at it. We've done some pie chart stuff for us here. First of all, uh, what kind of Christianity is there within our region? And many of you would say, oh, well, almost everybody's a Christian. Uh, no. In fact, Wheaton Bible Church, almost 4,000 people a week between our various campuses and such. Look at that tremendous dent we're making in the community. You can't even see that little white sliver of a line there. If you add all the other evangelical churches who are like us, believing in the, the new birth and, and the authority of the Word of God, then it's about 5% impact on DuPage and southwest Cook County. Now, that's shocking. Unreached or underreached, 95% of our county. You say, how big is that? Let's look at the next slide. Total population of these two regions estimated to be 1.125 million. Total number of evangelical churches we estimate to be 310, give or take a few. And the average church attendance, the size of an average church, uh, evangelical church in America is 183. So I rounded it up to 200. If you take all 310 churches, 
That means total evangelical attenders on any given Sunday morning, 62,000 of us meeting in some 300 churches. 62,000. That means there are over a million people that either have not experienced the saving life of Christ or not practicing it. Huge, huge need. And then we looked at the poverty index in DuPage County only. How many people live below the poverty line? 65,000. There's as many people today in our region in need of food, many times shelter and clothing, under-resourced, under-worked jobs than there are sitting in Christian churches right now. That's amazing. Now let's look at the ethnic breakdown of our region. DuPage and Southern Cook County. Caucasian or Anglo, that's white people. 70%. Minorities, 30%. Here's another definition I give for Caucasians and minorities. Caucasians are early immigrants to our country. Them, unless you're a Native American, you're an immigrant. It just matters how many generations ago it was. Okay? So 70% early immigrants, 30% what I call later immigrants in the last generation or two that have come. And the division between those in racial terms is Latino, 14%, Asian, 11%, and African and African-American. So first generation from Africa and then those that have been here for generations. African and African-American, 5%. Red, brown, yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Or another way to put it is... I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. Always wanted to live in the neighborhood with you. So, let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Won't you be mine? Please won't you be my neighbor? That's the appeal of Jesus Christ through every believer, that we would be neighbors to all those about us. Okay, so that gives us a kind of look at this. How do we get at it? Uh, what, what does God want us to do? So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles right now to the fourth chapter of Colossians. Fourth chapter of Colossians. We'll also put it up on the screen. So open, turn on, or watch the screen. And I want to read to you five verses, then give you a definition. Starting in verse number two of Colossians chapter four. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, packed into that glorious 
passage are, what, if you will, the three strategies that we really believe here in Wheaton Bible Church about being a neighbor. And there's three terms that you hear coming from my mouth quite often and others. And those strategies are the strategy of prayer. What's the next one? Care and share. Prayer, care, and share. That's exactly what Paul's talking about in this passage. So let's take a look at it. But let me give you this definition first. God's people love their neighbors through prayer and care and share. That's what it comes down to. So let's take these apart as Paul has uh, given us instruction in and see what we've got. Verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. Verse 3. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. One, two, three, four times prayer. Be devoted to prayer, verse 2. That also means give constant attention to prayer. So we're not talking about the prayer we pray at the end of the day. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Uh, we're not talking about even morning prayer. Sometimes I say, good morning, Lord. Good morning, world. It's a great day to be a son of God, empowered to make a difference in my world. Sometimes that's a morning prayer for me. All those little rote prayers are wonderful. Lord's Prayer, wonderful, wonderful. But this is talking about all the time, everywhere, praying. Devote yourselves to prayer. In 1 Thessalonians, he'll say, pray without ceasing. Always be in connection to God. And he says, be watchful in your prayers. You know what that suggests to me, to be watchful? watchful in my prayers, that as I look around and as I experience life, I see things going on. I get intuitive insights from the Holy Spirit about a person or a neighbor or a co-worker, and, and, and I'm going to pray into that right now. This morning, sitting during worship in the second hour, I had a vision of our neighbors directly across the street, and I spent some time with, with uh, the guy this week, and he told me what that was going on medically for them, fiscally for them, and the Lord brought it to mind. Pray for them right now that God will meet their needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Be devoted to it. Be watchful. Be looking. You hear the news. You read it on your device of what's happening. Pray. It's the number one spiritual weapon on planet Earth of the prayers of God's saints. Um, we need to pray right now. I'm going to lead you in a brief prayer. Here's the situation. One of our missionaries to Egypt just landed in Cairo this morning, was turned away, and he because they won't receive his visa. He's on an 8 o'clock flight tomorrow morning, which is just about now in Cairo, back to the U.S. His wife's already there. Lord, we pray for Randy. We don't understand why you've allowed this to happen, but we pray, Lord, that you might carve up all the bureaucracy and keep that dear brother there his strategic role in bringing Jesus to the Egyptian lands. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Devoted to prayer. 
always watchful in prayer and watchful for people that you know are distant from God. Hey, within 30 minutes of us, there are over a million people that aren't secure in their faith in Jesus Christ. Over a million! Hard to believe. Workplace, neighborhood, hobby groups, Tuesday morning yoga, whatever it is. Pray, 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 pray. Look for what, where God's at work and pray into it. Also be thankful in prayer. You know why? If you really take this devoted to prayer thing seriously, you'll get wore out. God's going to allow you to feel some of what he's feeling for his broken world and situations, and it will wear you out. The antidote to spiritual weariness in prayer is thanksgiving because it means you stop praying about the needs all around us, neighborly prayer needs, and you just focus on God. And you remember who he is and what he's done for you. And you praise him and you exalt him. And it fuels you to get back into your devoted intercession. Now in our church, uh, we have started oh, a few years ago doing this thing which we call reaching our world for Christ. And this is how Lon Allison devotes himself to intercessory prayer. Each year, during this month, I do one of the sermons and I say it's time to once again think about every friend, every relative, every acquaintance or coworker or neighbor or just even strangers we've met during the week and to lift their names before God. So you've got one of these in your folder. I hope you'll do it. Now the elders told me, Lon, when you teach them that, you have to show them how you do it. I said, sure. Because I showed this to all the elders. Each year, I re-up my list. There's new names to add. There's other names to mark out. You say, oh, do you mark them out because they became Christians? Yes. And also sometimes because they died and they weren't Christians yet. But I'm serious about this. Devoted, intentional focus on praying for people. Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Prayer is one of those spiritual weapons God uses to break down the barriers in people's lives. At the end of the message, I'm going to give you a, a minute, just quiet, to fill this out. You may want to do it during the message. May I suggest that whenever I get boring, just write down some names. All right. Let's keep going here. So prayer, 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 to make Christ clear. Open doors for us, God. Now, look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Once again, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. The first verse. Be wise, strong command verb, in the way you what? What's it say? Act toward outsiders. Not talk, act. Aha, this is where my care concept comes in. Be wise even in the way that you are around people who are outsiders. Who are the outsiders? It's the million. It's the five billion in the world that don't know Christ yet. The million in our region. Be wise in the way you act toward them. Treat everybody with respect. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you so you look like Jesus as you are Jesus around them. Let them see the difference Jesus Christ makes in your life. Where there's a need in your neighborhood or your, or, or, or your workplace, you as a believer should be the first one to arrive and the last one to leave, right? This is what Jesus would do. We're neighbors. Uh, you, you have a, a little boat and you go out in a lake and some guy with a fancy boat that turned off his emergency switch, go help him. He's a dummy. So, so this notion of be wise in the way that you treat outsiders, he then augments by saying, and make the most of every opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't miss the divine appointments to display your faith. One of those is just to make time for people. You know, when I talked to that one neighbor this week, I, I was pretty busy. I'm very important. And, and I wanted to see Marie. But something in me said, go hang out with your neighbor. So I w just walked across the street to where he was, and that's where I heard his life. So I knew how to pray. It was just the gift of time. That's number one. And then the gift of just doing things for people that you sense they need. It can be anything, but it needs to be often. May I say this before I move on? Sometimes I hear Christians say, we need to know our culture and we need to be able to blend in with our culture so we can reach our culture. Wrong. The last thing we need is for Christians to blend into this culture. We ought to look a little weird in our culture. We ought to be a little bizarre. Uh, just doing things that people aren't used to doing and hearing things people aren't used to hearing and representing Jesus Christ to the point where it makes a point. Love people till they ask you why. Uh, I did some research on this whole thing and in the fourth century, there, the last uh, Roman Caesar or emperor before Rome became a Christian uh, religion, Rome you know, became a Christian empire, if you will, under Constantine, the guy's name was Julian the Apostate, and he was the emperor, and he hated Christians. He hated Christians because too many people were starting to follow the one he called the Nazarene. Why? Because Jesus came from Nazareth, right, yeah. So the, the, he, he said, we have, this is a quote, we must stop the insidious Nazarenes, for they are tricking people everywhere how are they tricking them by loving by caring uh, when, when when the plagues would hit the great cities of the roman empire and all the people of substance would leave so that they didn't get the plague christians would stay and care for the sick that's that's glorious trickery when when little baby girls who were not valued because they weren't boys were left on the doorsteps of the Roman homes to die. Christians would go out at night and look for them. You talk about safe families and adoption. That kind of bizarre behavior was spreading throughout the empire and it was calling people to say, what's this all about? And the answer is it's about Jesus Christ who gave everything for us. 
And so, so Julian, the, uh, how'd you like to have that name? Hi, my name's Julian, the apostate. That's not noble, is it? So the, he got the nickname of the apostate, fallen away. Okay, so what he does is he says, we will beat the Christians at their own game. And so he took a lot of Roman wealth and he spreads it through the provinces of the empire and told his governors to disperse the money to beat the Christians at their own game, to feed the poor, to care for the sick. And he was funding it all. And it didn't work. Why? Well, for some reasons, the provincial officials just felt there was a whole lot of expenses that would go on with all of this work. And it just... The money just never got to the need, of course. But the Nazarenes did. Money or no money, they cared. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Yeah. And then third, third, verse 6, because it's prayer, and it's care, and it's what? You make me very happy by know this word. We try one more time. Prayer and care and... Yay! Yes, yes, yes. Look at verse 6. I love it. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He, he, He talked about sharing... Even earlier, in, in, in verse 3, he said, Oh, pray that God opens doors for the message. Oh, 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 pray that whenever I speak, whenever we speak, we do it clearly. So he's got sharing all over this passage. But now he zones in on them, and he says, Let your conversation. Incidentally, by using the term conversation, he, he, here's what he didn't say. Let your preaching at people. Let your lecturing people about their need for God. It's not a, let your conversation, dialogue, be always full of grace. What is grace? We talk about it all the time in our church. It's one of the great, great words with incredible meaning. And here's how I always defined it. I define it as the extraordinary, never-ending, and never-deserved love of God. The extraordinary never-ending, never-earned love of God for people. Paul is saying, when you talk with people about me, that's what you should be exuding, unending love for people that they might come to know God. Let love lead the way. Let grace lead the way. Then he defines it a little further. He says, it should be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Okay, some of you will know this already, others perhaps not, but until I put it in the terms you're about to get it, you will have not really understood it. I love popcorn. I love it. And I especially love oil-popped corn in the special gift Marie gave me for my birthday with Lowry's seasoning salt. You've got to try this. Oh, it enhances the wonder of the popcorn. Gourmet white, of course. 
I did it last night. I was so excited. I, pulled, I, I don't have a little bottle of Lowry's. Mine, it takes two people to hold it. <laughs> Got it at Costco. You know, one of those. But what does it do? Seasoning adds flavor to whatever it is that you're eating. And he's saying our conversation should be like seasoning that flavors the people we're talking with. They might know that we love them, that God loves them. And if they're beginning to feel conviction and need in their life, that we can even talk to them about that. Beautiful. The second aspect of seasoned with salt is we know that in the ancient world, they used salt to what? Stop decay in foods. It was a preservative. That word decay is interesting. It would stop decay. And that's a part of our grace speech with people too. We have to help them understand why everything's decaying so badly. Another word for that is sin. Why I'm unable to be the person I want to be and why the world is so messed up and why the days are evil. One of the best things we have to talk to people about is we've got an explanation why everything's so bad. It's the decay. Humans created in the image and likeness of God step into the realm and the kingdom of sin and it starts unraveling everything. Seasoned with salt, enhancing the flavor with grace, seasoned with salt, being able to talk about the decay and what God has done and only God could do. Take away the penalty and the power of the decay. Wow. Well, there it is. I, I could go on forever on this subject. And those of you who have been here with me the last four years when I've preached, you would say, he always does go on with this subject. He's a flat-out broken CD. I used to say record. And now I know I've got to figure out streaming. He just streams this all day long. <laughs> Prayer, care, share. But I wanted to show you where I got it from. From Paul. You know where got it? Paul got it from? He got it from Jesus. Jesus, even now, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that was Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Jesus constantly lives, present tense, making intercession for us that the world might be fully saved. He's praying. Jesus is constantly caring. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit are constantly meeting all of our needs according to their riches. We could go on and on, couldn't we, about how God has met us where we have needs, his care for us, and he's even sharing all the time. God is constantly speaking his truth through his infallible word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, convicting the world of sin, judgment, and righteousness. And he's constantly speaking through my lips and your lips. Prayer, care, share. That's my Jesus, and I hope that's your Jesus as well. Well, I'm going to switch gears just slightly, uh, but we'll stay on topic. Uh, I want to go back. Remember those pie charts I put up there? Remember the division of ethnicity? I want to say just a couple of words about that. Um, there's a couple of verses that we've got for you. Let's take a look at them. The first one's from Exodus 23, 9. Do not oppress a foreigner 
You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you are foreigners in Egypt. Next. He defends, meaning God, the cause of the fatherless, yea, and the widow, yea, God. And he loves the foreigners that reside among you. He gives them food and clothing and then the admonition to us who are followers of God. And you are to love those who are foreigners. You shall love your what? Neighbor as yourself. That includes our foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So all of the late immigrants that are coming to our land, as I look out about, it, about here, sometimes just by the skin color you can tell that people are from different ethnicities. What a wonderful thing it is. They find Jesus Christ.